Jeremiah chapter 1. In our evening service, we are going through the book of Jeremiah. just started uh, six messages ago. This is message number 6 as we look at verse 10. And uh, we're just going to look at verse 10. Uh, Previously, we had seen Jeremiah's call, that God called him. In fact, God had Jeremiah's uh, path in his life already laid out before he was born. He said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then we saw Jeremiah's response. Very much like Moses' response. Uh, a great feeling and sense of inadequacy. You've got the wrong guy. You know, there's no way I could do that. But God made it very clear, just like He did with Moses, that Jeremiah was the specific one that God called. And that he was not going to get out of this. This is what God wanted for him. And, uh, and then he challenges him in verse 8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Uh, God's promise, that, uh, it, which he's all the way through to the New Testament. First Thessalonians. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And that is a great promise for us. And that was what he told Jeremiah. He said, I will be with you. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'm going to deliver you. And then uh, verse 9, The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. We have already looked at the fact that it was God. In fact, the oracles of God was Jeremiah's message. Uh, These were not his own thoughts. He was given a commission on who to go to and what to say. He didn't have any choice in that. And so what he, the people he went to, Judah and other nations, the words that he said, the words that we're going to be looking at, were the words that God challenged him to say. And so today we look at verse 10, which really could be an outline of his ministry an outline of the book of Jeremiah uh, in his message. You remember we, we looked before that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because his message was not uh, a feel-good, power of positive thinking. It was a, it was a negative message uh, because the, God's people needed to hear some strong rebuke because God was getting ready to judge the Judah, Israel, the Jews. And he was giving, Jeremiah was their last, his last effort. He had already lined up, and of course, sadly, we know now that history has done the past. Uh, they did not heed Jeremiah's message. Uh, the reason he was the weeping prophet is because the decades long, decades and decades that he ministered to, his message was rejected over and over and over again, even though it broke his heart. And God eventually fulfilled what we're talking about. But look at verse 10, because it is the outline of Jeremiah's message. He says, (coughs) See, I have this day set thee over the nations. Let me give you the outline while we're doing it. That statement right there, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms, is uh, that he is the emissary. Uh, An emissary or an ambassador is someone that has been sent from someone else. And Jeremiah, it's very clear, Jeremiah is being sent from God. God sends him. And here's what you're going to do. I've sent you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down 
Wow, that's four very strong terms. All having to do with destruction. Criticism. This is a negative message. And then the last two, to build and to plant. Uh, so we are going to look first at the emissary. Then we're going to look at the, ra- the eradication. Four out of six of the terms that are used in, in Jeremiah's message are negative messages. The, only the last two are positive. But here's what we're going to see. And this is true in our day as well. If you and I want to accomplish something for God, there may need to be some surgery first to get rid of the destructive cancer before you and I can heal and, uh, and that God can do the building up. And that's exactly the way it is uh, with God's Word. I want to read to you a quote before we jump into these three things. The emissary, the eradication, and then the establishment. Uh, one, one commentator, a guy I used to listen to on WVCH, in fact, has passed away. He made this statement. He said, Jeremiah prophesied during the reigns of Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakin, and Zedekiah. All these kings had various bureaus and government projects. They were all going to improve Jerusalem. They were going to deal with the ecology and get rid of the slums. They each had a poverty program, but none of them paid much attention to Jeremiah. They ignored him. Now, almost 3,000 years have passed by. Could you mention any of those government projects today? Can you tell me anything worthwhile that was done by Zedekiah, Jehoiakim, or Jehoiakim? Not a good thing is mentioned. Yet, in their day, everybody thought they were doing the right thing, the popular thing. Jeremiah was ignored. But whom do we read today? We read Jeremiah. And so remember that God's message, uh, whether it is popular or not, is going to be the message that is the most important whether we agree with it or not. So, uh, the title of the message tonight is Constructive Criticism. I almost called it, Don't Shoot the Messenger. <laughs> you ever, you, you've heard that, haven't you? Have you ever had to tell someone something that was not pleasant, and then they reacted to you, and, and you might say something, Hey, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just, I'm just bringing the message. Well, if, if that applied to anybody, it applied to Jeremiah. The weeping prophet. Uh, He preached the exact message that nobody wanted to hear. And apparently we don't see any results that there was nobody that received it. Just like Ezekiel. And yet God still had him do it. So let's first look at the emissary. Verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. God says, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. And this is actually a deputation where God is giving to him authority, where God is saying, I am appointing you. In fact, the terms that are used, I have set thee over, is used throughout the scriptures to speak of someone that is made an overseer. In Genesis chapter 39, verses 4 and 5, it's the same Hebrew term that speaks of Joseph. Remember Joseph was made... Uh, he was in charge of Potiphar's house uh, so that, uh, you know, he didn't, it, it, Potiphar didn't know what was going on. Joseph was in charge of everything. He was put in charge of it. Same term, same term that's used in Jeremiah 40 and verse 5, Jeremiah 40 and verse 7. And again, it's the idea of to deputize. 
I remember years ago, one of our missionaries, I wish I remembered who it was, but when he was challenging uh, the, our congregation and the need to, uh, if we were to take him on, and we did take him on, he said, um, you are deputizing us. We're going to go to ex- such a con- country, we're going to preach the gospel, but we are doing it on your behalf. So you are deputizing me. And that, that always stuck with me. Because really that's what we're doing with our missionaries. You know, all the missionaries that we support, the different nations, we are reaching them through those people. We're not there preaching, but we are sending them. And we send funds so that we can have a ministry in Honduras and all the different places that we do. We have deputized them. Well, here, God deputizes Jeremiah. (coughs) And I want to pick up with this because... First of all, this made all the difference in the world. Why would Jeremiah spend his whole life, 40-some years, preaching to people that didn't want to hear his message? If, you know, what the world judges as success today, you know, success is you're real popular, more and more people want to hear you, and, you know, you've got a positive message that changes people's lives. Jeremiah would be an abject failure, but he wasn't. Because when God, remember 1 Corinthians 4, this was the theme of our men's conference this past week, a week ago. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Not that a man be successful, not that a man win friends and influence people, not that a a prophet would you know, gain a whole nation that follows him and listens, hangs on his every word. No, just to be faithful. And that's exactly what Jeremiah was. Now folks, let's fast forward because there's an application here for us. Do you know that? Thank you, Jim. Did I sound like I was struggling pretty bad? No? Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Jim. What'd you put in here? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Thank you very much. That was good. So the same, you know, and again, you'll hear this throughout, as we go through Jeremiah, this man struggled. He's the weeping prophet. He had disappointment after disappointment. And so these things that we're learning here in chapter 1 are foundational truths that I am certain he had to go back to, to reaffirm. Am I doing the right thing? Am I wasting my time? You ever felt like that? Am I doing the right thing? Am I wasting my time? And folks, when he went back to it, it's the only thing that would keep him. What would keep a man like Jeremiah doing what he was doing? A fruitless ministry in the world's eyes. What would keep him from, do, from, from stopping? God's call. God sent him. And I submit to you folks, no matter what people think of the gospel today, you and I, in the same way that Jeremiah was called to give a message to the Jews and to give a message to the nations... You and I have been called to be ambassadors for Christ. Listen to some of these scriptures in the New Testament. Feel free to turn here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 18. Paul says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
To wit, he's describing what that means. What is this ministry of reconciliation? That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Wow, what a blessing that is. Folks, that's, that is the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ, we have been reconciled to God so that our trespasses will not be imputed unto us. And he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Remember what an ambassador is. It is a diplomatic emissary. Someone that is sent to represent someone else. Just like a steward, an ambassador is not there to represent his own interests or to give his own message. He's there as the representative of whatever country or diplomatic party, whoever he is representing. And he's, he's not giving his message, he's giving their message. That's what an ambassador is. And so we don't carry a sense of entitlement like this is our message. This is God's message. And so he says, now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. I want you to think about this, because this is what Jeremiah had to deal with. Jeremiah sitting there preaching. And remember what we just read? The previous verse, verse 9, God says, I put my words in your mouth. Touched them, said, I've given you my words. So now, Jeremiah, when you go and preach to those people, And they start getting upset and they want to shoot the messenger. You can just tell them, I'm just telling you, this is God's message. And one thing those people knew for sure is that Jeremiah was telling them exactly what God wanted. Now, our message, when you and I challenge people to get saved, again, look what he says, as though God did beseech you by us. Have you challenged anyone recently of their need to get right with God? Then you have been an ambassador. You're not preaching your own message. We're not preaching a religion here. We're preaching, be reconciled to God. As though God did beseech you by us. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How have you been as an ambassador? You've been representing God and the gospel. If you haven't, maybe it's because you've been scared, you've been intimidated. You know, Paul asked for prayer for that very thing. In Ephesians 6 and verse 19, he asked the believers in, in Ephesus to pray for him. He said, and for me. In other words, he's praying, he's asking for prayer. That utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We need to pray for one another, that you pray for me, I pray for you, that we will have boldness to exhort folks to be reconciled to God, that they're sinners, they need to be saved. That's not a popular message. Very much like Jeremiah's day. Some of you may remember a couple years ago, I guess, during our Bible study hour, we showed a DVD series <coughs> on missions called Dispatches from the Front. And an uh, excellent, excellent series addressing the different, different countries, the different nations, and what you know, reaching them is like, the closed nations, all very, very good. 
And um, the, uh, the one on episode number nine, the Middle East, uh, there was an mi- American missionary named Samuel Zwemer. He was a pioneer missionary to Arabia. And he once wrote this, because there are certain nations that are closed to the gospel, and this was a Muslim nation. Now, you're not coming here as a missionary to preach the gospel. It's one of those closed nations. Well, listen to what he said. He said, opportunism is not the last word in missions. In other words, you know, missions is not determined by where the open door is and where the opportunity is. He said, the open door beckons. The closed door challenges him who has a right to enter. And that right was secured for the king's messengers of all time, in all places, by his cross and his resurrection. I love that. Let me read that again. He said, the open door beckons. The closed door challenges him who has a right to enter. And that right was secured for the king's messengers for all time, and in all places by his cross and his resurrection. That means, folks, God is equipping us and calling us to preach the gospel to every creature. And there's no closed doors in his book. Amen? You know, um, a, a lady that wrote an, uh, a biography on Samuel Zwimmer, uh, her name was Ruth Tucker. She said that Zwimmer's converts were probably less than a dozen during his nearly 40 years of service. Now, that may be more than Jeremiah got in his, about the same time. That's a long time. And to think that he probably, ministering for 40 years, and having probably less than a dozen converts. But here's what she said. She said, his greatest contribution to missions was that of stirring Christians to the need for evangelism among Muslims. And so many came after Samuel Zwemer, and because of him and his testimony, ended up reaching Muslims for Christ. And uh, what a blessing that is. But first, you and I have to get a burden for missions. A burden for the lost. In fact, in that same episode, forget the guy's name that, that hosted that. That was a blessing. We should watch that again. But he said this. <coughs> he was in England, in fact, I believe. And he was at an ancient church in England. <coughs> and he shared that um, Hudson Taylor once was at a church service in this building that he was standing at being recorded. And he said he had to leave the, in the middle of the service. He could not stay. And he wrote later why he had to leave. And he wrote this. So they got this service going on, over a thousand people, praising God, worshiping, and he's seeing something different. He said this, Unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people, rejoicing in their own security, while millions are perishing for a lack of knowledge. Whoa. That's good. Now, he wasn't condemning people because they were worshiping together and praising God. But that is someone that has that attitude, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He's sitting there. He's rejoicing in the fact that he's secure in Christ. But he's not. He's seeing all these thousands of people that are, again, that are um, 
They're rejoicing in their own security while millions are perishing for lack of knowledge. By the way, that's how God calls people into the mission field. He gives them a burden to the point where we say, I can't do anything but preach the gospel. Maybe God wants you just to be a missionary to your family, to bring the gospel to them. And you will be their Jeremiah. Second, go back to Jeremiah chapter 1. This is the, this is the bulk of the, of the message in verse 10. It's the eradication. It's God's ministry to the people of Judah, to other nations, anticipating judgment. And um, so he sends Jeremiah. Again, verse 10, Jeremiah 1.10, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out. And that's, by the way, that's an agricultural term that speaks of, of rooting out a plant. Jesus said a similar thing in Matthew 15 and verse 13. He said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And so Jeremiah's mission is to, uh, again, I have set you to root out. The next one is an agricultural term. To pull down, that's to destroy, to tear down, destruction, demolition. To destroy and to throw down. That's four out of six words on on what Jeremiah was going to be called to do. And and it was two to one, it was negative. Before he could build, before he could build up and, and edify, he needed to do some surgery. He needed to do some some tearing down. And it meant some hard words. Because if those people, the people of Judah, did not repent, God was going to judge them. He had a man named Nebuchadnezzar all lined up. He had a nation all lined up, Babylon. And at the right time, after Jeremiah preached for years and years and years, and the people did not heed him, God finally said, okay, here comes Nebuchadnezzar. And he came and he destroyed Jerusalem destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, took the people of Judah into captivity. But God gave them an opportunity to repent. They did not listen. So again, don't shoot the messenger. Now is there a New Testament correlation? There is. Listen to what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2. He said, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Folks, there is a place where you and I need to tell it like it is if we really love people. So again, this, this, this simple verse, verse 10, is not just Jeremiah's job description, it's really the plot summary of the whole book of Jeremiah. He lived in evil days. And that judgment would, be, would outnumber the blessings. Again, two to one. Again, now what about us today? What kind of days are we living in? Listen to this. Romans 13.11 And that knowing the time... It is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Is there an urgency today for us? There is. 
Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And then 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, Paul told Timothy, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous times. We are living in those days. I like what A.W. Tozer said many years ago. He said, we who preach the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relations agents sent to establish goodwill between Christ and the world. We must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, the press, the world of sports, or modern education. We are not diplomats, but prophets. And our message is not a compromise, but an ultimatum. Wow. <coughs> Did everyone, anyone ever tell you that if you got what you deserved, you would be judged by God. That's what someone told me for a while before it sunk in and I realized that I needed to repent and get saved. And the person that told me didn't just tell me, told a whole bunch of my peers. Every Saturday we went to this place because we thought we were going for something free and we were. But all the other people that I went with, when they heard what this message was, uh, they didn't want anything to do with it. Because it, it was a negative message that, hey, I'm a sinner, and, I, and I'm on my way to hell if I don't get saved. But I ended up realizing, folks, that this man that warned me about judgment and the need to be born again, the need to be washed in the blood of Christ, was the best friend I ever had. And all those people that left... He was their best friend too. They just didn't know it because they gave him a message. He gave them a message they needed to hear. And so I've, rem- I've been reminded through the study of a man, first of all, a man named Ahab. King Ahab was the king of Israel at one point. And there was a certain time when the kingdom was, was divided. Ahab was the king of the uh, one, one kingdom. Israel was two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. And you had Ahab, king of Israel, and you had Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And they had a common enemy, and they were going to fight the enemy together. And so, King Jehoshaphat, who was somewhat of a godly king, and King Ahab, who was a wicked king, were going to join alliance, which was a no-no, by the way, for um, Jehoshaphat. And they were going to plan to go together. And Jehoshaphat, being a godly man, when they were talking about going to war against this mutual enemy, Jehoshaphat said, Aren't there any prophets so that we can get a word from God? I want, you know, I want to make sure that this venture is going to be blessed by God. And Ahab said, absolutely. And they called like over 400 prophets, ministers, to come and give their word. And all of them, all of them to one man said, go up, you guys are going to win. But you know, Jehoshaphat just didn't have peace in his heart. He's like, ah, I don't know. He says, he just wanted, you know, the Bible says there's safety in the multitude of counselors. I think 400 would be pretty safe, you know. But he just didn't have peace about it. He said, isn't there anyone else that we can hear from? And, and, and King Ahab said this, and I love this. He said, yet, there is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. In other words, there was a prophet that he left out. Why would King Ahab leave out Micaiah? Here's what he said. He said, but I hate him. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. 
Now, isn't that amazing? He said, I don't like this guy because he never tells me anything good. You know, this is sad. Because it's telling us that Ahab doesn't want to hear what he might need to hear. Those 400 prophets, he thought they were on his side. Ahab would end up dying because he listened to those prophets and he rejected Micaiah. And then, so what did Micaiah, when Micaiah finally prophesied, and basically it was a negative thing, don't do this, then I love, I love, um, I love Ahab's response in verse 18. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? I told you, I don't like this guy. Now you know what, there are people that, that will not like us for telling them the truth. I want to close with our last minutes by doing a study on what the Bible says about wounds. I will, I'll call it distinguishing wounds. Because the Bible talks a lot about wounds. And Jeremiah, when he preached, what he said hurt. They got their feelings hurt. You know, Judah did. But they did not realize. You see, there are good hurts and there are bad hurts. There are good wounds and there are bad wounds. So we're going to talk about distinguishing wounds. <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, someone that gets the Purple Heart, the Medal of Honor, people that fought in battle and were wounded physically. I'm talking about other kinds of wounds. Listen to this. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Faithful. It's an interesting term. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I want you to think about this. You've got wounds and you've got kisses. Now what do we look at as more, you know, what do you want? Do you want people to be kind to you and kiss you? Or do you want people to wound you and hurt you? We think, I don't want people hurting me. I want people to kiss me. I want people to be nice. But that's not what, this is using, maybe this, this text got the words wrong. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you ever have someone tell you something that was hard to hear, but you needed to hear it? Those are true friends. Do you ever have someone tell you something that you wanted to hear, but they didn't even believe it? Those are the kisses of an enemy, and they are deceitful. Praise God for those people. And, and, you know, I've talked about this with my wife many times. I am so thankful for family. First of all, just getting married. Put someone in my life that could confront me uh, with blind spots. I know it surprises you, doesn't it? I have a blind spot. I have a bunch of them. And then we had kids. And then that's like more, more criticizers, you know? More people that are able to like say, Dad, you do this wrong. Dad, you do this wrong. And, you know, it's, at, t- at times it can feel overwhelming. You know, before, before it was just me and my wife and she said something, then I could say, oh, that's, just, that's just your opinion, you know. And then all of a sudden I got these kids coming along and they're like, no, Dad, you do this. Oh, man. But you know what I've come to realize over there? I feel bad for people and, and I'm not, I know that God has you in your situation but in fact, if you are not part of a family, if you're not married, or you don't have kids, your church family is all the more important to you. 
that you have people that you love, that love you, that will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to. Everybody needs to be a part of a good Bible-believing church that, where people will love them and tell them the truth. It's not fun sometimes. It really isn't. But if I did not have the, the six, uh, five voices in my life to, 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 to keep me straight, to say, oh, look, you do this, you do this, you do this, I would be a mess. Well, of course, then I would have you folks, right? So faith for the wounds of a friend. Here's another verse. Proverbs, Psalm 141 in verse 5. Listen to the Psalm of David. David says, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. Wow. David's praying for the kind of pain from godly people that will help him. Listen to Proverbs 28, verse 23. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Again, you got the contrast. You've got someone that, that rebukes you. Now, by the way, a rebuke is a criticism. Packaged in love, but it's still a criticism. It's pointing out a fault. He that rebuketh a, word, a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. You know what flattery is, right? Flattery is an exaggerated compliment with a hidden motive. Some people, those are the kisses of an enemy. Now some people only want to surround themselves with yes people. You know, people that will praise you and say, oh, you're awesome, you don't do anything wrong, and and then we feel good, right? But how does that help us? It doesn't. May God give us Jeremiah's in our life who will love us enough to risk losing the relationship. And he was willing to do that, right? Because what did God tell him on the get-go in the beginning? Don't be afraid of their faces. <laughs> That's like, what are their faces going to look like? Oh, Jeremiah, just wait. You're going to start preaching to them and you are going to get some looks. If looks could kill, you know, fiery darts. Man, I can only imagine. And yet he still did it because he loved them. Now, let's contrast those kind of wounds with these kind of wounds. Proverbs 18 and verse 8. The words of a talebearer are his wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. You know what that, and, and by, by the way, Proverbs 26, 22 says the same thing, almost word for word, in fact. The words of a talebearer are his wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. A talebearer is a gossip. That's the person that's pointing out all your faults to everyone else but not you. They don't love you enough to come to you. They want to go to everyone else and tell them where your faults are. That is not a friend. And by the way, those wounds cut deep. The words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. They're not faithful wounds. They're not the wounds of a friend that lovingly help us. Those are destructive wounds. Those are the kind of wounds, you know, talk about the kisses of an enemy. A man walks up to Jesus, one of his twelve disciples, and he kissed him. A sign of affection. Jesus knew his heart. 
He said, Judas, betrayest thou me with a kiss? Can you imagine that? Here's this man that walked with them. All the other disciples thought was one of them. And he kissed him, which was pointing him out so he could be arrested. How tragic. (coughs) Uh, We'll stop there. Um, Let me read this quote. This is another uh, quote that I forgot to write the person down. But it has to do with criticism. You know, we, we tend to view criticism as always a bad thing. But I want, you to read, I want you to listen to this. Criticism is always difficult to accept. But if we receive it with humility and a desire to improve our character, it can be very helpful. When we are criticized, we ought to ask ourselves whether the criticism contains any truth. If it does, we should learn from it, even when it is not given with the right motivation and in the right spirit. That's the hard kind, isn't it? Here are four suggestions. When you and I are criticized, four things to do. Number one, commit the matter instantly to God, asking Him to remove all resentment or counter-criticism on your part and teach you the needed lesson. Number two, remember that we are all great sinners and that the one who has criticized us does not begin to know the worst about us. I remember Spurgeon's quote, that is so true. Third, if you have made a mistake or committed a sin, humbly and frankly confess it to God and to anyone you may have injured. And then four, be willing to learn afresh that you are not infallible and that you need God's grace and wisdom every moment of the day to keep on the spiritual path. When we are criticized, let's accept what is true and act upon it, thereby becoming a stronger person. He who profits from rebuke is wise. So, beloved, let's, let's be friends to people. Let's be friends that love one another, that, you know, say, yeah, this is great. Pastors just give me the okay that I can go around and slam all my friends. No, that's not what we're saying. It's saying when you care about someone, you approach them in love. And, folks, the best thing you can do, Matthew chapter 18, if someone offends you, someone s- sins against you, true love, they're going to come to you and tell you your fault between you and him alone a true friend. May God give us true friends. People like Jeremiah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. We want to be we want to be true friends and we want to have true friends. And maybe, Father, there's been people in our past that have been true friends to us, but we did not treat it that way because of our own pride. And Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize those who love us enough to confront us, that we would not resent them, but rather, Father, that we would grow from that uh, and help us to be that friend that is not just uh, peace at any cost. Help us, Lord, not to be those that give the kisses of an enemy, that we would be deceitful friends. And we ask your blessing tonight, Father. Help us to be like Jeremiah, a man that loved his country and told them just what they needed to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.